facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, this is Kale Clark, and if you didn't know what day today was, you have to know. Everybody's wearing green. Chicago River is green. Everybody's drinking shamrock shakes. Some of you might even be dipping into the green beer. I'm not quite sure, but please, in moderation. But one thing I don't want you to do in moderation is uh, listen to relevant radio. You got to listen all the time, and you got to call in right now, 888-914-9149. We got a lot of great stuff to talk about on the show today. Obviously, when it comes to St. Patrick's life, separating history from legend isn't always easy, but I'm going to show you how you can look at three weapons, just like three leaves on a shamrock that St. Patrick used to conquer himself and conquer Ireland for God. And you can use them as well. Plus, I already mentioned shamrock shakes. Can you tell? I haven't had mine yet. I have that craving. I'm going to give you the origins of the shamrock shake, which are really interesting. <laughs> Bit of a shakedown. And I'm going to tell you about the chicken Big Mac as well. You say, what? Well, it's not even in America yet, but it might be soon. I had one, though, and I'll tell you whether it was good or not. Because, guess what? Some of you have a dispensation today, and you can actually eat meat. Some of you guys are going for corned beef, of course. We'll talk maybe about the Irish origins of St. Patrick's Day in America and all the accoutrements that go with it, and so much more. We've also got the St. Joseph's Novena prayer coming up. A little memento mori moment with the walking dead, if that makes any sense. It, it will later, trust me. But 888-914-9149. We'll see if your brackets are busted, how the Catholic schools are doing in March Madness. We've got a full docket today. So let's get going. I want to remind you also, you can email the show, klcale at relevantradio.com. And if you want to email me some prayer requests, uh, things you'd like me to pray for in my personal prayers, we're doing this Novena to St. Joseph, I will pray for you so you can write in to me, klcale at relevantradio.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, uh, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E on the end. And let's go with the Novena to St. Joseph right now. It is day eight, only one more day. I'm counting the traditional, of course, 19th in terms of the novena but this year the feast is commuted to the monday the 20th uh, because of course it falls on a sunday this year but let's pray together in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen to you blessed joseph we come with confidence in this our hour of need trusting in your powerful protection your loving service to the immaculate virgin mother of god and your fatherly affection for the child jesus inspire us with faith in the power of your intercession before the throne of God. We pray, first of all, for the church, that it may be free from error and corruption and be a shining light of universal love and justice. We ask your intercession for our loved ones in their trials and adversities, that they may be inspired by the love, obedience, and affection of the Holy Family and be to each other a mutual source of consolation and Christian fidelity. We ask your intercession also for our special needs. And I'll pause for a moment for you to pray for those things. And to keep us all under your protection so that strengthened by your example and assistance, we may lead a holy life, die a happy death, and come to the possession of everlasting happiness in heaven. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for praying with me, and you're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. All right, well, of course, today being St. Patrick's Day, 
I want to talk about three weapons that he used in his life and that we can use as well. This is kind of based off a, an article I read by Dr. Kevin Vost, uh, writing Catholic Answers magazine. And there's so much that we have to sort out when it comes to the life of St. Patrick himself, because there's so many legends that have sprung up around him. It's hard sometimes to separate truth from fiction. And we do have some things, though, believe it or not, we actually have a couple of things that he wrote, he personally wrote and left behind. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that in just a second. But here's uh, something that he did say, and this is a quote from St. Patrick himself. He said, quote, I, Patrick, am a sinner, the most uncultured and smallest among all the faithful. Indeed, many people consider me to be worthless, end of quote. So, wow, that's a, quite a, a quote of humility from St. Patrick. And a lot of people um, who celebrate, and if you do celebrate, once again, do so in moderation. Uh, if you're into that green beer, uh, don't get drunk. Drunkenness is a sin. St. Paul writes, do not be drunk with wine or green beer. That, that, that's not actually in the text. That's, uh, it's a, it's a, it was discovered in a Gaelic manuscript of, of uh, the letter to the Ephesians. No, just kidding. It's not. He doesn't talk about green beer, but he does say, do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. That, of course, applies to beer as well. And G.K. Chesterton said, we thank God for beer by not drinking too much of it. We've got to have that uh, virtue of temperance, moderation. And uh, there's, there's an old joke. I will tell you this joke, though. Uh, why did they invent whiskey? To keep the Irish from taking over the world. Well, I, I can say that. I am Irish, so uh, I am celebrating along with you and those who uh, pretend to be Irish today <laughs> uh, and are wearing green. And uh, you're celebrating this Feast of St. Patrick. But a lot of people, they have no idea. They might be in the parade, but they might have no idea who he really was or the magnitude of things that he really accomplished. And it, it is incredibly impressive. And by the way, the Irish called him not Patrick, but Padraig. That's how it is in, in, in Irish. And uh, you've heard of Padraig Harrington, perhaps, the golfer. He's going to be uh, entered into the Hall of Fame this year. And uh, he, he actually called himself Patricius. So this is kind of a name day feast for my wife, Patricia. And of course, Patrick Alog, who's a uh, part of our show team. And how could we forget Patrick Madrid? So happy St. Patrick's Day to all of you. But Padraig, Patricius, Patrick, whatever you want to call him, St. Patrick was a man full of surprises. And he wasn't even Irish. He did go to Ireland, of course, but he wasn't Irish by birth. He was Catholic, though. He was Catholic, and he was incredibly adept at evangelism, winning people over, converted an entire nation, an entire country, in one generation. And when you think about all the scholars and saints uh, that grew from the Emerald Isle, and for centuries they would evangelize other nations to the ends of the earth. I mean, what, what incredible fruit came from the life of St. Patrick, especially even in America? And it, it's sad now that missionaries need to go to Ireland, and that's tragically the state, and not, not, every, not everywhere in Ireland, but um, I actually have a friend named Padraig. Um, he's, he is Irish, and uh, he and his wife were considering moving back to Ireland. And uh, his wife is, is not from there, and, and she's from North America, but she took the kids there, wanted to see what it was like. And unfortunately, she just found it 
in terms of the levels of, of faith, you know, I, maybe she wasn't going to the right places, but the sh- cities that she was in, it was just non-existent. She tried to go to confession uh, at a local Irish parish, and she was told by the priest, "Lass, you know, I haven't heard a confession in twenty years, and, and it, it, there's just there's no need for that sort of thing anymore." Well, it, it, how sad! And it, it's not that way everywhere, but no doubt there are major challenges uh, in Ireland today. So the ancient lives, there's so many quote-unquote ancient lives of St. Patrick. Oh yeah, Patrick Conley. Welcome to Patrick Conley. Uh, thank you, Thomas, for uh, Thomas Engesser is working the phones for us today, 888-914-9149. I want to welcome Patrick Conley officially to the Relevant Radio crew. And uh, he's the new host of The Inner Life, stepping in for Josh Raymond. And uh, I, I'm sure you'll really enjoy Patrick's insights. So do check out The Inner Life or check out the podcast for that show. So welcome to the team, Patrick. Can't wait to meet you uh, hopefully one day in person soon. Now, when it comes to St. Patrick, though, there are all these hagiographies, if you will, and they were written, you know, in the medieval period, and there are a lot of medieval legends that sprung up around him. But again, we, we, we have two things that Patrick wrote with his own hand. There's one letter, and it's called the Letter to Caroticus. And Caroticus was a, a chieftain, a kind of a pagan chieftain, and he had actually killed and enslaved Christians. And Patrick himself was a victim of human trafficking. We'll talk about that. And then, of course, there, there was a, a document of his that Patrick wrote called the Confessio. It's a little bit like, I don't know if it's a little bit like the Confessions of St. Augustine, but it's, it's pretty short. It's only a few paragraphs. It would fit into about 25 pages or so of a modern book. And you can look it up. You, you can actually read it. And so many miracles took place uh, around St. Patrick. And, and again, these some of these are, are legendary. It's hard to separate truth from, from fiction. Here's one that's kind of funny. Uh, he allegedly, allegedly, I don't believe this actually happened, he allegedly prayed to God that the citizens of Rome would all just sort of fall asleep. They'd be put into a deep sleep, almost like an anesthetic, so he could slip into the city and make off with a, a bunch of precious relics that he would take back to Ireland, you know, for the churches of Ireland. I highly doubt that that actually happened. He was definitely a believer in the commandments. They'll shout not steal. There's no way that's true. But some things are true. And in Patrick's own confession, the Confessio, he speaks of his humility. He talks about how he was able to, by God's grace, conquer the Druids, help God to convert the nation, exercise demons, not to mention the snakes, raise the dead, all, all of these miracles that happened. But he, as I, I said in that opening quote, he considered himself worthless. He knew that all the power came from Christ. So here are the three weapons that St. Patrick used all the time and that we can use as well in our own lives. The first weapon that he had was unceasing prayer, unceasing prayer, according to Kevin Vost. And he said that essentially um, Patrick was actually, he wasn't Irish by birth. He was born in Britain. And he actually lived on, a, on an estate near a place called Banavem Tabernier. Tabernier. And that word Tabernier sort of sounds like the word for tabernacle. And it means the field of tents. The field of tents. And it was called Banavem Tabernier because the Roman legions, the fearsome Roman Empire armies, would live out in tents in, in the fields as they conquered Roman Britain, what became Roman Britain. 
Now, Patrick was, uh, St. Patrick was Catholic by birth, and in fact, his father was a Catholic deacon, but he never actually started to think about God really seriously until he turned 16, and that's when he was captured by Irish slave traders. Thousands of other Roman Britons were captured along with him and shipped off to the Emerald Isle. And so, in, in some ways, he is a patron saint of victims of human trafficking and human slavery, and there are so many in the modern world today, along with St. Josephine Bakita, who also endured that, her, her feast day being on February the 8th. But Patrick said, St. Patrick said that when he was in captivity, this is how God opened his eyes and was able to convert his heart. And he, he was put to work as a slave, as a sheep herder. And, you know, how biblical, hey, <laughs> tending the sheep. And he, he prayed night and day, ceaselessly for six years. And this is one thing we'll see in the life of Patrick, that there were long periods of time that he had to wait and he had to marinate and he had to... God is not, not usually in a rush, when it comes to our sanctity, and, and it's, a, it's a lifelong process. We don't know how much time we have left. That's, that's why well, we have to be serious about it all the time. But, but for six years, he prayed as he was out in the field with the sheeps. And then in the sixth year of, of his slavery, he heard a voice in a dream. And in this dream, he was told that he would eventually return to his home country. And then the voice in the dream told him, your, your ship is ready. Your ship is ready. But it's 200 miles away. He wrote that it was 200 miles away. And it was in a place that he'd never been, and he didn't know anybody there. But he took off. Go, he took off anyways. He just took off. He ran away. And as a runaway slave, certain death would have been his lot had he been captured. But God, he said, directed his steps. He made the journey without fear, with haste, and the dream came true. He was able to get on a boat. He returned home, and he was kind of received with a hero's welcome. And his family, his friends, they hoped that he would never leave. But after some more years, some more time, God started pulling at his heartstrings and started calling him back to Ireland. He had another dream one night in a vision. A man brought Patrick thousands of letters and he opened one of those letters in his dream, and he read the first line, and it said, The Voice of the Irish. And then he, he heard them as if one voice, the people of the woods, the people of the western seas, calling to him, We implore you, O holy boy, to come here and be with us. And so in this vision, he, his heart was torn. He wanted to stay home with his family, for whom, from whom he had been separated for so long. But he also was thanking God for these prayers that were mystically delivered to him, these, these Irish pagans that wanted him to come back. And so he said, I'll do it. I will go back to Ireland. But he didn't go back for decades later, many decades. Why? Well, because when he was captured, he, he, he really wasn't educated at that point. He was only 16 years old, and he had to learn. He had to be, he had to essentially enter into studies for the priesthood. And then he not only was ordained as a priest, he eventually was ordained as a bishop. And that was kind of what he needed uh, to, to go there as an official ecclesial representative of the church, as a member of the hierarchy, as a bishop, to get the church going in Ireland. And so he spent decades in formation. And that, that's really interesting. He didn't just drop everything and, 
and go, he realized that he needed formation. He needed formation in, in the faith in order to fulfill his mission. And we all do. We all do. We have to keep learning. That's what we try to do on Relevant Radio. Keep you learning, keep you sharp in your faith, because there's so much deformation in the culture. And of course, if you've been to Ireland, and I haven't had the pleasure yet, but but we've seen images, at least on television, of, of the great waves crashing against the, the shoreline. And, and the rock of our faith is like that. It can be battered by the waves of the culture. It's not as gritty anymore as it used to be. And the edges are, are sometimes lost. And, and so there's so such deformation in the culture like those great waves in the sea the irish sea uh we've got to keep our formation uh intact we've got to keep learning keep growing and so that that's that's number 1 was a commitment to prayer that was the first weapon in the arsenal if you will of saint patrick but we're going to talk about the other two things that he did there were two other weapons in his tool belt in his sort of utility belt to use a batman reference that he used in the spiritual battle to help convert a nation, really change the course of history. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Be right back. Faith, facts, and fun. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to this program on St. Patty's Day, 2023, 888-914-9149. We're going through three weapons in the arsenal of St. Patrick that he used to conquer a nation for Christ had such an impact on world history. We talked about his unceasing prayer. Prayer was just a, a major factor in his life ever since his capture, being sold into slavery, getting out of that, getting back home back to Britain, but then God calls him to Ireland. He says, first, I've got to pray. I've got to be prepared. I've got to get formation. I've got to get myself self-ordained. He becomes a priest and then a bishop, and then he goes back. And there, there's a document that he wrote with his own hand, and you can, you can Google it. You can look it up. It's called Patrick's Confessio, the Confessio, and it's only 62 paragraphs long. But here, here's his second weapon that he used in his spiritual life just being saturated with scripture and Kevin Vost wrote, wrote a piece about about this and apparently scholars found more than 300 scriptural quotations or allusions in that short little document it'd be about 25 pages printed out 62 paragraphs the confessio of St. Patrick 62 paragraphs more than 300 citations of scripture that's unbelievable and so when this happens to you, when you when you are just you know imbibing the Bible, you know instead of your green beer, you're imbibing the scriptures. Guess what? It starts to change the way you think. It starts the way it starts to affect your relationships in a good way, uh, the way you look at life. And but he also read a lot about the church fathers, especially the writings of Saint Augustine. And here's an example of how this worked out in his life. Remember before the break, I told you that. When he was still a slave, he had a vision, and God said, essentially, I'm going to get you out of here. There's a boat that's ready to take you home. you got to get on it. It's in a city that you don't know. You don't know a soul in this town, but you got to go there. And Patrick said that it was about 200 miles from where he was. So, obviously, historians, scholars, they, they want to define the city. Where is the city where he got on this boat and, and, and took off and went home? They couldn't find it anywhere. They, they just couldn't figure it out. 
And the reason was because Patrick was actually using something from the Bible to explain it. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 20, it says 1,600 stadia. And that was a, a stadia was a measure of distance in the ancient world. 1,600 stadia. Well, that turns out to be about 200 miles, 200 Roman miles. Well, and that's why he used that. He's like, oh, I was about 200 miles away. It, it wasn't really probably, but, but he was using a biblical reference. And so it would just kind of get into his everyday life. And that, that's what happened. And that, that's how it can happen for us as well. Another example here is uh, in his life, there was, a, there was a time when, of course, the Druids, the evil Druids, the Druid priests, they warned the king of Ireland that Patrick was coming. And they were, they were obviously a little worried about their job security. Man, if Catholicism really gets hold here, we're done for. So they went to the king of Ireland, and his name was King O'Leary. <laughs> Not Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank, but King O'Leary. And they told him, hey, there's this guy, Patrick, he's coming, Bishop Patrick. This is not good. Our pagan Druid religion is in jeopardy here. So O'Leary's like, I'll, I'll take care of it. So King O'Leary sends a, sends a bunch of chariots. And coming up against this army, he thought it would intimidate St. Patrick, and he'd turn around and go home. Didn't happen. When Patrick saw the chariots... Instead, he said this, Some boast of chariots and some of horses, but we boast of the name of the Lord our God. And that's a quotation, of course, from Psalm 20, verse 7. So he was able to hide scripture in his heart. He read it constantly, meditated on it. And when the situation came up, the right verse would also kind of pop up. The Holy Spirit would bring it to his mind and, and give him the right attitude to deal with his challenges. Okay, so that was number two, just being saturated in Scripture. So unceasing prayer, being saturated in Scripture. What was the third weapon that St. Patrick used? It was perseverance. Perseverance. This is really, really important. Kind of reminds me of one of my favorite movies, The Dark Knight. You know, it was the second installment in the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. And of course, that's when the Joker, played by Heath Ledger, wins the Oscar for it posthumously. You know, he's just terrorizing Gotham City and Bruce Wayne slash Batman. He's about to give up. He's about to give in to the Joker's demands. He just does not see a way out. And I want to spoil the movie. I won't tell you what happens. But there's a great conversation between uh, Christian Bale, who plays Bruce Wayne, Batman, and Michael Caine, uh, who, of course, plays Alfred, his trusty butler. And Bruce Wayne says, you know, well, I got to give in to the Joker here. What, what would you have me do, Alfred? What would you have me do? And Alfred says, endure, Master Wayne, endure. And he's like, I can't endure this. I can't endure this. But you have to. And this idea of endurance is really the virtue of fortitude. It's the virtue of fortitude, which is tough-mindedness. It's perseverance. And St. Patrick was really, any saint is very, very strong in all of the virtues, but maybe there's one in particular that they stand out in. And for St. Patrick, it may well be the virtue of fortitude, his perseverance, because it took him so long to overcome very long odds. He had to overcome all the obstacles to evangelizing Ireland. It took him decades to complete his education, not to mention being kidnapped and sold into slavery. He overcame that. He got back, did his education, became a priest and a bishop, got the endorsement he needed from the Pope. Okay, go for it. You can evangelize Ireland. Puts a team together. And he travels there and starts building the church. 
and he wasn't he didn't get to Ireland till he was in his late 40s or his 50s but man when he got there did he ever make up for lost time and and, and there may be times in our lives when we have to kind of curtail our activities when we have to dial it back a little bit and and that's okay to for whatever reason it might be an illness it might be circumstances in life and we can't serve God the way that we want to but those are times when we can kind of grow on the inside. San Jose Maria used to talk about that. when During the, the bloody Spanish Civil War in the 1920s, he and his companions were holed up and they literally had to hide in an insane asylum to, to escape. Those who wanted to murder all Catholics, it was just awful and couldn't do what he wanted to do. Couldn't evangelize, but he said, you know, we're here. We've got to grow on the inside and make the most of our time. So perseverance, fortitude is really, really important. And so eventually Patrick got back to Ireland. He went through every single province and there were hundreds of new churches and they needed to be built quick to hold all the people that, that were converted to the faith. And so here's, here's one last story. And this is, this is just a great, great story. And it's highly believable given what we know of St. Patrick. There was a pagan chief in Ireland, and he heard about this guy. He, his fame had preceded him, his reputation. And this pagan chief said, I want to meet Patrick. So here's how he did it. He sent him a very, very expensive gift. It was a magnificent cauldron, which I guess you could use to cook things over an open fire or whatever. It was a cauldron made of copper, just gleaming in the sunlight, just beautiful. So this chief sends this gift to Patrick, and when the guy gets back, the chief says, well, did he, did he like it? Did he like it? What did he say when he opened it? And, 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 the, and the guy says, well, chief, you know, all he said was, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And the chief was enraged. He's like, well, he should have thanked me. How dare he? How, what an ingrate. So he said, he said to his servant, all right, I want you to go back, and I want you to actually you know, repossess that, that, that copper cauldron, take it back, take the gift back. I want it back. And so, okay, that's okay, boss. And so that's, that's what he did. He, he goes back to Patrick. He says, I'm really sorry, but the chief wants the, the copper uh, cauldron back. <laughs> sorry about that. And Patrick said, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Great. <laughs> it's like Job, right? The book of Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And but the story has an even better ending. So the chieftain gets his pot back. And then he's like, wow, okay, if, if this guy thanks God when he gets a gift, and he even thanks God when a great gift is taken away from him, that's a guy I want to meet. Now he's got me really intrigued. So he does set up a meeting, and he gets evangelized by Patrick. He gets converted, and so all of, all of the chief and all of his people become Catholics. So this, this is awesome, and this is what we have to do for our friends as well. Just as St. Patrick evangelized the, I guess you could say, the pre-Christian pagans of Ireland, we need to evangelize in really what's become a post-Christian world. There's so much chatter about that. that we live in a post-Christian society, which is a lot like the pre-Christian society in, in so many ways. It, doesn't it seem as if paganism is coming back? Paganism is on the rise and people's uh, behaviors, their activities, their denial of the divine. And as one writer said, we live in a culture of highly skilled barbarians. Yeah, we know stuff. We're very technological, but we are back in barbarian times. People are denying reality, the very fabric of reality itself, and trying to bend everything to their whims, the human body, you, you name it. So we have to re-evangelize the world, including Ireland. And so uh, St. Patrick, pray 
for us. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149 is the number to call if you have a take on that. Well, some of you are drinking the green stuff today, and some of you are drinking shamrock shakes. And I have to, I have to tell you this. I have to, I have to share with you the origin of McDonald's shamrock shakes. I, I love shamrock shakes. If you're, if you're not into mint, if you don't like mint flavors, shamrock shakes are probably not for you. But uh, this is really cool. These are 10 facts that you didn't know about the shamrock shake. You know, it was actually created in 1967 by a guy named Hal Rosen, who was actually an owner of a McDonald's franchise in Connecticut. And he just kind of mixed it up on his own in celebration of St. Patrick's Day. And he actually debuted his little confection in 1970. So he thought of it in 1967. Three years later, he puts it out there, and it becomes a smash hit. It starts spreading across all the McDonald's locations. Now, back in 1974, proceeds from the sales of Shamrock Shakes actually helped build the very first Ronald McDonald House in Philadelphia. And, and this kind of got going. And by the way, I got this information from the uh, Ronald McDonald House website. Uh, they've kind of archived all this. And there was, there was a, a, a gal who was the daughter of a player for the Philadelphia Eagles NFL team. And she had fallen ill with leukemia. And there was a local McDonald's owner in Philly um, who wanted to help her. And actually, it was, it was, it was Hal Rosen. It was the same guy who, who invented the Shamrock Shake in Connecticut. So Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's, and by the way, I haven't seen the movie The Founder starring Michael Keaton as Ray Kroc. I've always wanted to watch that. I don't know if it's any good. 888-914-914. Producer Jim says it's good. I should check that out. Does he say I'm Batman at any point during the... Uh, does he look over to the counter at a, at a customer and say, I'm Batman? No. <laughs> Apparently he did that when he was playing the Vulture in one of the recent Spider-Man movies. He he cracked up... Um, um, Oh, what's the guy's name who plays Spider-Man now? Um, the young guy. Oh my gosh, I sound like uh, I'm completely disconnected from. The... Who plays Spider-Man now? Let me know. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. It'll come to me. It'll come to me. I'm just uh, drawing a blank right now. But anyway, so when he was playing the Vulture, apparently he cracked this guy up during a fight scene, and he said to him, "I'm Batman." Anyways, um, so Ray Kroc, the actual Ray Kroc, uh, who really was responsible for getting McDonald's as widespread as it is. So Ray Kroc, this guy Hal Rosen, who invented the Shamrock Shake, and the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, along with the Philadelphia Eagles, they all got together, raised enough funds to help open the first Ronald McDonald House. It was basically paid for with Shamrock Shake sales. And now they obviously help millions of families with sick kids, and the families can live together near their, their hospital treatments, and they get what they need. So that's, that's another interesting fact. Uh, fact number three. I didn't know this. I don't remember this at all, but McDonald's actually introduced a shamrock sundae to go along with the shake in 1980. And it was vanilla soft serve with mint green shamrock syrup. Obviously, that has been discontinued. Uh, for you, everyone listening in the Chicagoland area, you might remember this. Back in 2010, the world's largest shamrock shake was poured into the Chicago River, which obviously is dyed green for St. Patrick's Day, and there was a $10,000 donation that came in to, uh, to build a new Ronald McDonald house in the Streeterville neighborhood of Chicago. And to celebrate that, they had a 24-foot-tall shamrock shake t- 
tipped over and poured into the Chicago River, which obviously turned it, made it a lot more creamy than it was, I guess. Uh, so I don't know if you remember that, Chicago people, but uh, you can call in Chicagoans, 888-914-9149. You know, it didn't go nationwide. The Shamrock Shake didn't go nationwide until 2012. Wow, that's hard to believe. Um, I certainly remember having them growing up in Canada, so it's hard to believe that um, they didn't have uh, Shamrock Shakes all across the U.S., in 2017, they did another experiment. They added chocolate to it. Uh, it was, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know how I feel about that. Although mint chocolate's hard to beat that combination. But because it had choc chocolate syrup in it as well as, of course, the regular mint flavor, I can't believe they did this, but McDonald's commissioned a limited edition straw that was built by aerospace and robotic engineers. This was the highest and best use of, use of their time and talent. They created the revolutionary straw, S, capital S-T-R-A-W, which obviously stands for something. I don't know what. But this was the most scientifically ideal way to enjoy the chocolate shamrock shake. And here's how it works. So you use this special space-age straw, and you would, you would get 50% chocolate and 50% mint in each sip. I don't know how they pulled this off, but that, that's pretty incredible tech. This is, this is important stuff, saving the world here. Uh, anyways, uh, here's another fact. Given the ties of the Shamrock Shake to the Philadelphia Eagles in Ronald McDonald House in Philadelphia, they actually offered it twice in 2019 in that city, once during the regular Shamrock season and once to commemorate the beginning of the NFL season in September. How about that? Fact no number eight of things that you never thought you'd need to know about Shamrock Shakes. Uh, before they went national, um, in 2018... Oh, no, no, that's not even a good fact. All right, I'll keep going. Number nine. Uh, okay, okay. It's it's now in Ireland. They should have done that in the very beginning. I can't believe that. And here's the last fact. Uh, it celebrated the 50th anniversary in 2020. So it's now 53 years old. And at that point, for the 50th anniversary back in 2020, they had another special edition, the Oreo Shamrock McFlurry. So... Hey, now that you are all, all, uh, all caught up on your Shamrock Shake uh, history and factoids, um, we'll go to the phones. Let's go to Vanessa calling from Anaheim. Hi, Vanessa. Hi. How are you? I'm <laughs> Great. What's, what's on your mind? Oh, I was just um, calling you because we're asking about, like, you say Spider-Man. Yes. It's it's Tom Holland. Yeah, yeah. I I knew that. I just I had I blanked out the, uh, whew, the hard drive kind of kind of failed there for a second. So yeah, Tom Holland exactly. And of course Zendaya plays Mary Jane, right? So how about that? So thank you, Vanessa. How, how old are you, Vanessa? By the way, I'm. You're sixteen. You're sixteen. Well, hey. Thanks for listening to the Kale Clark Show. Really, really, really appreciate that. Vanessa is Vanessa calling from Anaheim, California, and she helped jog my memory. And um, I need to drink a shamrock shake and get my get my brain going. And yes, it was Tom Holland. I was thinking, of, of course, there's Toby McGuire and then Andrew Garfield. And then, of course, now Tom Holland, who's British. And he does a great American accent in the Spider-Man films. How, how about that? All right. Um, let's go now to Keith in Minnesota. Hi, Keith. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Yeah, I got it. I heard you got the actor's name, so that's fine. Um, I one time I watched a 
movie of documentaries about St. Patrick, and I was wondering if you knew if this was true or not. He one time was being, when he went back to Ireland after being a priest, all that, he was being hunted or something, and he one time they were like, crossing this field and whatever, and he uh, had two or three companions, and he had a cloak, and he covered them all up, and everyone thought they were deer, so they let him to actually walk past them. Huh. So he could go to where he was supposed to do what you know. Like I said, it's been a while since I watched the movie, but that just kind of stuck out. I was wondering if you knew if that was true or not. I, that that I don't know. I, again, I, I I haven't seen that particular flick, and and like I said, there's so many. I guess you could say medieval urban legends about St. Patrick that have sprung up. It's really hard to know uh, how many of them, if any of them, are, are based in in history, but. That's why I think it's really cool that we actually have some some things that he actually wrote, some things he actually wrote uh, that you can uh, check out. Um, and the Confessio, it's one that uh, that's well worth reading. It's well worth reading. There are translations of it out there. And uh, hey, Keith, thanks so much for for calling in. And hey, fear the deer, fear the deer. When in when in doubt, disguise yourself as a deer. That's not a bad idea, actually. Well, oh dear. Anyways, all right, enough of that. Uh, we'll <laughs> we'll go to the break right now. And I'll try to find some better jokes. 888 Stay tuned. Stay tuned. What does The Walking Dead have to do with today? Well, I'll, uh, uh, we'll find out. And, and hopefully none of them will, uh, will get me before we get back to the show. 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Explaining the Catholic faith and how you can live it and share it too. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the program, 888-914-9149, St. Patrick's Day. We talked about him. We talked about the origin of shamrock shakes, really important stuff. Also, um, a lot of people, a lot of you guys are asking me about the chicken Big Mac. Yeah, if you, if you did get this dispensation, you could fly here and grab yourself a chicken Big Mac and fly home. Uh, only available in Canada right now, but I have a feeling they're, they're, this is a test market. They're going to try to roll it out in other places, and it was actually cooked up by Jeff Anderson, who's, a, who's an actual, legit chef. He's a culinary engineer, if you will, and uh, he trained at the Culinary Institute of Canada in Halifax, um, which is the city where I was born. Uh, he worked for the Hyatt Corporation, all kinds of experience, and then he started working for the McDonald's team, which is really cool. They have product development. They're always cooking up cool stuff that may or may not ever make it into a restaurant. And sometimes when you go to McDonald's locations all around the world, you'll get like sort of local. Um, and maybe you guys can give me some examples of ones that you've seen all around the world, 888-914-9149. But they're, they're always inventing concoctions that may never see the light of day. But they started working on, they started playing around with this idea of the chicken Big Mac. And we have to come up with a new jingle. Remember that old commercial? To all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, chick- pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. And, uh, you know, all chicken patties, I guess. But ba- basically what, what they are is essentially the same kind of chicken that's in Chicken McNuggets, just pressed down into a patty. And, yeah, I had one. It was it was, it was was good. It was good. It was uh, a lot of calories, though. I'll, I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that. And uh, it might go well with a shamrock shake. But, hey, one other thing that we, we need to do, we need to do today is we need to hear from Sister Teresa Alethea Noble, her Lenten devotional, Memento Mori, Remember Your Death. Um, 
eating too many of those things might might hasten that time. But it, it's an important exercise for Lent. It's a Lenten devotional. We've kind of been dipping into it each day uh, during Lent, except for the days I forgot. <laughs> so sometimes we just have so much going on. I it just we just didn't didn't make it there. But uh, it's definitely a good resource and. Uh, she does such a great job. She's a convert from atheism to the Catholic Church and uh, one of the daughters of St. Paul, Sister Teresa Alethea Noble, Memento Mori. So her journal entry for today really kind of plays off of the first reading at today's Mass from the book of Hosea, chapter 14. And here's, here's a line from Hosea, Hosea 14.10 to be exact. Straight are the paths of the Lord, the just walk in them but sinners stumble in them. Hmm. And here's what she says about that. Quote, Though it may seem difficult to walk in the way of the Lord, today's readings remind us that the Lord's paths are straight for the just. Of course, even the just find it difficult to walk effortlessly in the paths of the Lord. We are all sinners who inevitably falter and at times collapse. We're especially prone to fall when we lack trust in the power of God's grace. But Jesus always extends his hand, ready to keep us from stumbling and to lift us up. But sometimes we prefer to remain in sin. Rather than accept help, we remain on the ground, our faces in the dust. And here's where the walking dead comes in. She says, we close ourselves into a casket when we stumble into serious sin and choose not to get up. Lingering in sin turns us into corpses before our bodies are lowered into the grave. And it's so true. When we, when we commit mortal sin and the life of God is cut off from our souls, it's a little bit like we're the walking dead. This is what happened to Adam and Eve. And, and again, there's always a grain of truth in the lies of the devil. And we did a show earlier this week called The Ten Things That You Need to Know About Overcoming the Devil from Scripture, The Ten Scriptures You Need to Know About This. So check that out. Uh, 10 Things the Bible Says About the Evil One. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Check the podcast for that. Um, but one of the things he said to our first parents was, you know, eat the fruit. Did, did God really say? I mean, he's always kind of questioning Scripture, questioning God's voice. You're not going to die. You know, and, and he was kind of right because they didn't physically die, but they did die spiritually, which was far worse. And from that moment, they were kind of the walking dead. They were alive physically, but dead spiritually. And this is what can happen sometimes. And Sister Teresa says that when we sin seriously, it turns us into corpses, even before our bodies are lowered into the grave. Now, The Walking Dead, I, I'd never got into that show. I am not into zombie shows, you know, people fearing the zombie apocalypse. My wife, she just absolutely loved it. I've, I've got a brother-in-law who was totally into it. Can never, can never do it. Just nothing appeals to me. But at any rate, you're, if you're a fan of that, I'm sorry. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. But she says this, Sister Teresa. Quote: We may appear young, healthy, and beautiful, but it's just a facade, like the makeup that a funeral director paints on a corpse. When this happens, we cannot rise on our own strength. Only God can exhume us from our self-imposed graves. God's grace helps us to avoid stumbling to our death. And enables us to do what we never could have done before. Grace changes everything. The sacrament of reconciliation in particular cleanses us and fills us with the beauty and light of true life. It enables us to walk in the paths of the Lord and to love God with all of our heart, understanding, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that's what Jesus said in the gospel of today. Mark 12, 33. 
All God asks is that we continue to follow in his path, no matter how much, how many times we fall. And with time, things that were formerly impossible become more effortless with God's help. And so she, she really encourages us at the end to, to stop saying tomorrow, to postpone holiness. And they go, tomorrow I'm going to stop sinning. Tomorrow I'll make a fresh start. But she says, this is where remembering your death daily can come in really handy. It humbles us, reminds us that we could die at any time. You may have all these future plans for the saint that you would have become, but we've got to do it now. St. Paul says today is the day of salvation. So memento mori, do it now. Remember your death. Turn back to God. And so this this is really, really important. I I, I like this, this line that she gives. She says that when we're in sin and we're not we haven't gone to confession. We might still appear young, healthy, and beautiful, but it's a facade like the makeup a funeral director paints on a corpse. And one of the more interesting experiences I had was a tour of a funeral home. And by the way, that's a great profession. If you're looking for a profession, if you're looking for a job, you know, a lot of people think it's macabre, but but quite quite frankly, you can help a lot of people at, at a very, very tough time in their lives. If you're a solid Catholic, this is a great ministry, and you'll always have clients, of course, number one. But it, when I was a, in the Protestant seminary, we did a tour of a funeral home and with some of the students, and uh, uh, it was it was an interesting experience. Um, went down into the basement where they dress the bodies. Ooh, it was a, a lot of work goes into it. Let's put it that way. It almost made me think, you know, I don't know. I, maybe I'll go closed casket. I, I, I really don't necessarily want my jaw wired shut or anything just for show. I've already said too much. This is, uh, some of you are getting ready for dinner, uh, <laughs> but uh, your corned beef, but hey, it's, it's, but it truly is an, an important, uh, an important ministry. And um, again, I think more people should consider this as a career. You can really help people in their hour of need. Funeral directors, hey, I salute you, especially if you're doing it as a means to evangelize and share the love and hope of Christ. So yeah, really, really good entry from Sister Teresa. And she kind of closes off with a, with a quote from the great St. Ignatius of Loyola. And, and this is what he says, quote, What difference is there between a corpse and a soul in mortal sin? This is St. Ignatius of Loyola talking. A corpse has lost the use of all its senses. Is this not a faithful image of the sinner? A dead person no longer sees anything. Everything ought to strike the eyes of the sinner. The state of his soul the grave ready to open for him, judgment, hell, eternity. And yet the sinner sees nothing. The dead no longer hear. Everything speaks to the sinner, conscience, grace, events, ministers of religion. But the sinner hears nothing. The dead are insensible. Neither insults nor honors nor the admiration of people nor their contempt can touch them. God moves heaven and earth to reach the sinner. He endeavors to rouse him sometimes by benefits, sometimes by afflictions, and the sinner remains insensible. The sinner exhales an odor of corruption. The contagion of scandals spreads death around him. The infection of his vices makes him an object of horror, not just to others, but to angels and to God. O fatal death! O death which deprives us not of the life of nature, but of the life of grace, the life of God. End of quote. So St. Ignatius of Loyola there with a powerful quote. So, whew, don't don't do that. Don't don't lie in a in a grave of sins. Get up and and rise and walk, as Jesus said. And 
go straight to your nearest confessional. That's one of the best things you can do, especially on a Friday in Lent. So I hope all of you have a very happy St. Patrick's Day, what's left of it. Hope your brackets aren't busted too bad. I'm doing all right. One of my final four teams is gone, Arizona, but I only got about six wrong so far. So who knows? I might be the Swami after all. At any rate, have a great weekend, everybody. Stay tuned to Relevant Radio. Keep it locked. Tim Reese coming up, followed by Father and the Family Rosary across America. Jim produced. Thomas took your phone calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.